Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 119 of Midweek Metagame. I'm Harry MPG, joined by my two regular co-hosts, Patrick Robertson. Good afternoon, everyone. And Gabe Lunacy. Hey, what's up? Well, well, well. We're back. Finally, we're actually a podcast for once. Uh, no special guest today, just me, Pat, and Gab here to talk about modern and also anything magic we've done in the past week. Um, I just want to give a disclaimer. I think for those listening know that my house is getting like a renovation right now, but they've decided that they want to drill um, the the floor underneath me today. So you might be hearing some drilling throughout the episode. My apologies, not really much I can do because this is the only day we can record this week. Um, but yeah. You know, we're not here to talk about my renovation, we're here to talk about magic. But before we get into that, as always, the podcast is brought to you by Card Market. For those who don't know who they are, they sponsor the podcast and they're a website where you can buy anything Magic the Gathering related. Cards, accessories, deck boxes, playmats, everything you can sell on there. Go check out Card Market, they support us, they're amazing. And uh, yeah, they've been supporting us for a long time, to be fair. Big fan of Card Market. Anyways, if you personally would like to support the podcast as well, patreon.com slash midweekmetagame, no pressure to do so best place to support us but enough of that i want to talk about some modern have you guys played modern this week because i actually for once in the past few months i've played modern this week i've played zero modern but you had it in your thesis though so you're you're a free a free man oh, you can do what you want. no i didn't <laughs> no oh, it's... Well, sorry sorry about that then no no uh, uh my dissertation is due on the 24th of march and i was meant to hand in a draft on monday and there's a strong emphasis in meant. But, um. Right. Maybe we should edit this bit out. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's okay. But yeah. So I decided instead of writing my dissertation, a good thing to do would be to play some modern. It's a perfect antidote to any undergraduate degree from personal experience. Yeah. Um, but what, what about you, Gab? Yeah, I played a bit of modern. I played mostly over the weekend. I played the challenge. I tried to play a second challenge, but instead I ended up playing the PTQ because the Sunday challenge didn't fire. I played four color Omniath. Oh, sick. I I've been hearing a lot of good stuff about that. Actually, my friend Cherry X-Men, who's second on the trophy leaderboard, he has nine trophies with uh, four color Omnath right now. So I think the deck is pretty good from, from what I've been hearing. All right. Yeah, I saw he's been streaming uh, again. Yeah, I, I've actually been um, playing with him on Discord. Just um, he he has this new. I say new. There's this um, red green um, mid rangey type deck. It's not really pawns anymore because the only pawns type effect is four magus of the moon. But it's like four Karn, four BBE, and then all the red green value cards like Clothisys and Pyromancer, Ragavan, Ren. I've been playing a lot of that with him, and that deck has been been uh doing very well for me and that's that's really the only deck i've been playing in modern over the past week i've been watching cherry play um some four color control on discord as well but um in the in the modern format those are the only two decks i've been i've been looking at it but you know i feel like the four color omnath deck you can build it in so many different ways and i think uh one thing well first off were you playing Yurion? yeah i've been playing Yurion, yeah yeah, because I think um, I was talking about it with Cherry, and I think there's a big building decision right now if, if you play Ice Fang Kotal or not. And is that a card that you've been you've been playing? What what does your list look like? Yeah, I've been playing four. I was down to three, and I went back up to four in an attempt to be a bit better against Grixis Shadow. 
Because what happened is I felt like I was getting paired against Blue Red Murktide or Grixis Shadow a ton. And I had made room to try a few new cards, you know, uh, March, maybe more Spreading Sea. So I trimmed a nice thing and trimmed a Solitude. And I felt like that was not smart if I expected a lot of uh, Murktides or Shadow. So for this weekend, I went back to four and four, which is not, you know, which is kind of fairly stuck, honestly, but it, it's just, you know, just make, um, I guess, make small adjustments. I tried stuff and I went back to the old list. People have um, also been playing, you know, people used to play Witness and Ephemerate. It's not, you know, 100% clear what's better, but I've just been uh, kind of copying what Canister does, honestly. And I figured if he decides that no, no Ephemerate, no Witness is better, then it's probably better. I'm pretty positive Yorion is much better than no Yorion. I'm not sure there's really anyone that still you know, plays a 60-card version. But yeah, I um, you know, we're gonna talk about it. Grixis Shadow just totally crushed the weekend, whether it was the challenge, just the PTQ or the the mocks. And I just wanna say I did my part. You know, I played my four ice rings, I played my four solitudes, I beat the one shadow player I played against uh on, on Sunday. So it's it's all it's all on on you, all on the other players if uh Shadow's just dominating right now. Definitely seen lists splashing out or branching out into playing some other copies of March by the Worldly Light and shaping ice band codals and solitudes, like you pointed out before. But I think that if you're playing against a deck like Grixis Shadow, it's going to hit you with discard spells and also put you under a lot of pressure in a relatively short frame, time frame. You really just need to go all out with the best possible answers against them. You know, to show that matchup, I think max four copies of Ice Fang and max four copies of uh, Solitude are kind of mandatory. Yeah, March has been solid for me. I had I started with one in the main. It was pretty good. I added the second one into the, the the list, and ultimately I decided that you know spreading seas was just much better against Saga, and that March was good, but you didn't really need it. I've seen lists with calling Oracle card doesn't make sense to me in that deck if you're not playing blink effects especially, but I guess you can blink a nice one because you're playing. I mean, I didn't see the exact list, but that that deck basically has 29 or 30 lands, which is the equivalent of 22 or 23 lands in a 60-card deck, and that's just not a great rate when you're playing Calling Oracle. I think the yeah, Flash I mean, is is huge when you're playing Counterspell in your deck and other instance speed removal spells, uh, Memory Deluge, and uh, you know the the Death Touch. Obviously, it's, it doesn't come online very fast, but it does come online by the time they have a Murktide or a Shadow and these decks, you know, they don't have Renin Six, they don't have Lavadarts, they have to use, uh, you know, spot removal to deal with your one Ice Fang. Yeah, I definitely can't get behind playing what is essentially Elvish Visionary in the deck. I mean, Ice Fang is great because it draws a card, not because it's a Death Toucher, but it's the whole package tied together that really makes it a playable card. And like you said, the equivalent of 22, 23 lands is certainly not enough to be expecting to kind of benefit from the ramping growth effect of, of coiling oracle maybe you can get away with it if you really want to like max out the ephemerates and stuff like that so you've got like just number density essentially of yeah. of two mana draw archive things to get your engine rolling but not a decision i would uh not a direction i choose to take the deck at the very least so you've been impressed with much of otherworldly light overall i mean enough to play a couple of copies at least still in your deck despite playing the full four ice fang and solitude it's obviously a pretty flexible card. 
Yeah. Um, any 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 like matchups where it's particularly shining? Like you said you said you kind of opted to take an extra copy of that so you can play some more strings specifically the target. Yeah. Uh, as a saga, but it's like it, it, presumably that's a pretty that's a relatively narrow narrow, narrow choice to what matchups do you like marching? I've just been happy anytime I've drawn it. Basically, it's done its job. It's been fine. It hasn't been too clunky. But I did end up cutting them all for the PTQ just because I didn't know what else to cut. I, I did get an Urza Saga once on turn one. That was cool, but I actually lost that game because it was against Titan and it just had a bunch of amulets and bounce lands and it didn't even matter. Yeah, the reasoning is that it's pretty sick to have a one mana instant speed stone rain for Saga, but I think you'd just rather have Spreading Seas when they have Saga. Spreading Seas is, is good against um, Burn. It helps you a bit. It's good against, can be good against Kroxa. It can maybe slow down the Torak, which are some really annoying cards out of the Shadow deck. I know that Canister in the Mox decided to not play Spreading Seas. He went was too March in the main over basically taking the, the slot of Spreading Seas in his list. Because he did have the four ice, the, the four ice fangs, the four solitude, and um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I love that decision. Your Yorion can be also pretty underwhelming when you cut all the spreading seas if you didn't draw abundant growth, which happens a lot. So I'm not sure that's. Um, I agree with that decision. I guess. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the, the appeal of March being a, a one mana stone rain is all well and good, but it. It, it trades so inefficiently with Urza Saga, like all other removal spells, if you draw it after the first chapter is completed. So yeah. you're having access to spreading seeds. I mean, at least in the face of like chapter two of the saga, you spreading seeds their land, they make it they make a construct. You just at least you're still a card parity. I think that's you know, leaning on marches is your solution to solution to Urza Saga and it's gonna put you at you know, two thirds of the time essentially, it's gonna put you at a disadvantage. Uh Card wise, when you're trying to answer as a saga with it, which is we've seen it's a losing proposition overall. And I like the I like the point you made about having just a critical mass of things to draw cards with when you blink when you when you activate Yorion because it's not like you have a an overwhelming board full of things to blink and so you like cast Yorion and you get like seven or eight triggers or anything like that. So you need to like you know it's a it's at most like it's an, an omnath and an abundant growth or whatever. Maybe you blink a solitude if that's sitting around in play. But you know, having access to like an extra couple of things, uh, abundant growth style things that will just sit and play and draw your cards, really, really good value. How do you feel about the deck over, like going forward though? Because it felt like towards the end of the PDQ, you're a bit kind of over the deck and not feeling it. I think the deck is is good. I've been seeing how the deck's really strong and maybe the best deck in modern. And I feel like whenever I lose, I get either really unlucky or I make mistakes. But I'm sure a lot of players feel about you know that feel that way about their deck in modern and when you see the Grixis shadow results it's it, you know it, it might be hard to argue that that four color omnath is a, is a better deck but i also think that deck's really fun to play i guess Grixis shadow is also probably a ton of fun to play so i i still like the deck but i guess at some point I've been playing, uh, you know, almost every challenge since beginning of the year, and I haven't top aided a single one. So maybe I need to start, uh, you know, questioning if the deck is really as good as I think it is. Maybe I'm just, you know, maybe I'd just be winning more with another deck, whether it's Living End, Shadow, and um, 
Yeah, yeah. Some, someone asks you to check the scoreboard after a certain period of time. I mean, the deck deal, obviously, obviously, I top tier the deck in, in modern. I mean, Canister does well with it routinely, and it puts out results almost every weekend. But I do think that the luster is wearing off. I think the format's evolved to a point where like other decks can kind of keep pace with it, whether it's kind of updates from Hammer Time to play Reality Chip to improve its ability to grind, or you know, just some individual card choices that you can make in a deck like Grixis Shadow. I think that it's got a good, strong place in the metagame, but definitely not in a tier of its own, I suppose. Do you think we're getting to the point where the list is almost perfect? Like, I remember back in the Uro Astrolabe days, we had, like, the Doom Doom Switch Bant Control. Do you think we're getting to the kind of that point where the deck is so powerful you don't need to change it? It's so tough to say, you know, that elusive balance of spot removal, cantrips, you know, mm. the, the spreading seas. It's, at, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about balance and trying to find the right one. So who, who knows? But I, I think the list has felt good. You know, the, the memory deluge I've liked. I see Canister played four Lightning Bolt. He actually went back to four Lightning Bolt and no Unholy Heat. I... I'm guessing that was just another nod to maybe expecting Charvulture, you know, might as well if you burn spell to finish him off fast. And I guess against Grixis Shadow, you'd probably rather have Lightning Bolt than Unholy Heat. It's kind of close. Unholy Heat can kill a medium-sized Death Shadow. It can kill Croxa. But Lightning Bolt is just good to burn them, burn them out. There's just so many games where they go real low and you have you know, even just a nice fang out there and maybe a few tokens, so like a bolt or two can go a long way. Uh, I think the one of the, you know. Sorry, I, th- I think that one of the major, major upsides to Lightning Bolt in the, the Shadow matchup is explicitly to kill early Dragon Rangers channeler because turning on turning on Delirium isn't a trivial exercise in in, in the four color deck from from what I what I can see. Like it's not that easy to get land creature instant sorcery in the graveyard or land creature planeswalker. Language of Sorcery Planeswalker. There's not that many ways to kind of get the fourth card type in there very quickly. And so you put yourself at a disadvantage against uh, early early Dragon Rangers channelers. Having a clean answer to that has probably got some value to it, I think. Yeah, Don Holit was maybe an answer to just a mirror. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just a hedge, right? It's like it's good in the mirror. It's like good again. It's good in later games against Shadow. So maybe you just want to go with and not fall behind against against Dragon Rangers channel as early. Because from the Grixis Shadow side, those are the games where I feel like I'm at my at my best in, in the four color matchup where I establish like an early early three three flyer and it just it just goes coast to coast, basically, yeah. with a little bit of protection. And you know, if they're sitting on unholy heats that haven't been turned on yet, then uh, that's a uh, that makes it makes life all the more easy. Yeah, no, I like that decision on RCF playing four bolts. It makes a ton of sense to me. But yeah, to answer your, your question, Harry, I have no idea if it's, you know, kind of the final form. And hmm. it does feel like a lot of these cards are just kind of no-brainers, whether it's, you know, if you want to go down the list of bottom gross, expressive iteration, prismatic ending, Ren 6, Teferi, Solitude on F. I think Ice Fang's really good. Ragavan's been really good for me too. Just that tempo edge it gives you, you know, you get the free wins and you get something that they have to trade mana with on the first few turns. That's important to just not fall fall too far behind. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, it to me, it just feels like the modern format is coming to a point where it's like, I feel like it's just the person who gets <laughs> uh, unlucky loses because every card in your deck is so powerful that if you just have, like, it's kind of who who has their, you know, decent spell in the early game, decent spell in the mid game, decent spell in the late game, because I. That's how it's felt like anyways, playing Ponza. I mean, the only games that I lose genuinely are games where I draw f five lands. Um, any other... That's you know, that's why like I feel like people player, think yeah. the format might be a bit stale. Because I feel like the only games of Magic I truly lose are either I've made like a outrageous punt or I've just drawn a lot of lands. I feel like most decks car carry themselves nowadays in Modern. Do, do you guys feel that way? I've noticed that in some matchups, it, honestly, a lot about the die roll right now. I feel in mm. uh, in uh, modern, if you take just a few matchups, four color against Grixis Shadow, the die roll just seems so huge because you know you curve out your first one. Your you know Ren and six on the play means you get to kill their one drop. Um, in the mirror match, whoever gets to play Ren six, you know the other one has to other player has to answer it was ending and you know if you just tap out i tap out you tap out i tap out you tap out first for omnath and well yeah die roll has been really really big and you know it's something i don't really think about the die roll because in my mind the die roll is you know maybe it's like 55 45 and even then that's not like i don't feel like that's that i mean in the long run obviously it's huge but not that noticeable kind of evens out etc but yeah Daryl has been has been. I think it's I guess uh, people have pointed it out. I think it was like Soul Strong. I played. Uh, I think it was Soul Strong who who pointed out that the Daryl is huge in the Shadow versus Omnath matchup. And I was like, oh yeah, it's you know, even though I maybe had noticed it, I just don't think you know, it's not the kind of thing I've always, I necessarily think about. Is that yeah, something? Me Sorry, Oh, I was just going to say. say... <laughs> We're out of practice talking to one another. Let's go for it, Harry. It's fine. I was going to say, do you think that's because of Planeswalkers? Because I feel like pl planes Planeswalkers is exactly like, I'm thinking, why would I care about the die roll? Well, I care about playing Ragavan because you get pinged by Ren. I care about playing first because then my Planeswalker is going to be on the table faster. They won't have a bigger board. Is this something maybe that pl Planeswalkers has caused? Because Death Shadow doesn't have to worry about protecting a Planeswalker. They just have to kill everything. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Planeswalkers don't have summoning sickness, I guess. So... I feel I feel like the Planeswalkers play into a kind of like bigger or, or kind of more broad thing that's going on. Like where... But in the way that Gab's describing, kind of like the, the Ren getting pinged by the, by the Ren and Six on the draw, it just means that there's more ways that draws line up positively when you're on the draw versus... Or when you're a player versus on the draw. So like... If, if as a four color four color player on the draw, you really need to look for hands that have prismatic ending. Whereas you ha you expand your range of hands to prismatic ending plus red and six on the play, and you know the same goes for you know various other other other, other elements of the matchup as well. So like the shadow deck gets to play a one drop and then and then play a discard spell, spell to protect it or like knock out the red and six that was coming the next turn when they're on the play. Whereas if they're on the draw, they have to decide between establishing their board or protecting against the red and six. So it's just about like the, the way your draws line up or the, the number of permutations of draws that can line up, I think. Yeah, there's also the fact that was 
Dragon Ray Chandler and and Ragavan and maybe other creatures. And and you know in creatures matchup, you, you can usually afford to take a few hits. You know it's just life total, and then once you turn the corner, you turn the corner. But Ragavan and Dragon Ray Chandler every turn they stay into play and hit you. They not only do you deal damage, but you get you know the obvious advantage for Ragavan and the surveil that lets you snowball with Chandler. So. Yeah, it makes. I guess it makes being on the play even even better in that way. If if, if you can protect them, um, just way more way more snowbally, I guess. Yeah. I certainly think it's interesting that we kind of went from a modern format that was largely considered two ships passing in the night, and the and the die roll was very important because it meant you just killed them faster. Uh, to uh, through to the release of Modern Horizons two, and we created this modern format, which is like really quite heavily interactive. Like there's lots of good interactive spells, um, you know, counter spells in the format. Now there's extra spot removals in red. Um, you know, we've got lots of different dimensions that people are interacting really effectively. And we went through this kind of feeling of like, oh, look, modern's kind of, you know, suddenly this kind of like highly kind of like mid-range focused card spreading backwards and forwards deck uh, uh, form, style format. And into the point where like that's now coalesced into we know exactly where the where the, the axes of interaction lie. When you absolutely have to have interaction, you have to be interacting in turn one. You have to understand that Rainy Six is coming into play. You have to know that it's fairy to follow up. And suddenly the, it's broken back down to yeah, it's die roll dependent again. And you know, it's you get a huge a huge a huge tempo advantage essentially by 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 being on the play. So we're back to back to modern as a die roll dependent format after transitioning through a period of isn't modern what wonderful and interactive i just think it's a kind of funny coincidence that we wound up in the same spot i i the one thing to me that i find kind of the most annoying thing about the format is not like i don't really mind this early game degeneracy of like who kind of has the, the nutty the nutty cards and who has the answers but the one thing that disappoints me the most is i've been playing a lot of this ponzi deck i think i've played about four leagues now and it's like a lot of the games, I'll get to like turn 11 and it's and I'm in top deck mode. And then my opponent just goes, okay, companion to hand, you lose. Like it doesn't uh, matter what card I draw because yeah. I can't beat their Yorion drawing two or three cards. I can't beat their Luris getting back a Death Shadow. Um, and I think to me, the fact that because I'm not playing a companion, I have to end the game probably before turn six is what what makes yeah. makes it so like i guess not stale but kind of disappointing and i guess that's why like that's why the deck does okay because you just blood moon them out of the game or you just build a massive board with like bbe season pyro plus karn but i'm just i think the companion mechanic is so well refined in all these decks that it it, it really does make it feel like if you don't have a companion you just can't win if you're going to like turn 11 you can't expect to extend the game and and not play a companion. I mean, it's essentially like mulliganing if you're expect if you're trying to hit turn ten. Yeah, you can't really play a fairy deck and you know quote unquote fair because I'm not sure Greg's shadow qualifies as a fairy deck, but you can't really play a fairy deck without a companion. It oh, it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you see that in low Merktide numbers and low Merktide performance now that we've you know, Greg's shadow's really taken that meta game slice up because they're. They more or less play the same role in the format of kind of you know cheap creature plus disruption backup. But one gets to start with eight cards, and the other one gets to start with seven. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess Merktide is you know maybe the one example of good deck that doesn't that's 
quote unquote fair, but doesn't but, play companion. But it's been obsoleted essentially. I mean, the, the deck is that, that was more, more of my argument is that you you could play Shadow and Murktai, but why would you choose to play Murktai when you can play Shadow? Given that one has eight cards in the starting hand, the other one has seven. Yeah, and you're the expert. I, what what would be the reason to play Murktad over Shadow right now? You thought the Blood Moon was really good. I think that's the only argument you could possibly make. Or maybe you mm -hmm. thought that like people are playing enough, like Drown in the Lock was not the counter spell, the not the form of interaction that you want, and you thought the counter spell was better. But, so I I suspect that you know a matchup like Belcher or Bron is uh, much better for Blue Red Murktad than it is for Shadow. But they're not very bad for Shadow. In fact, I think they're probably positive for Shadow, but they're probably more positive for Blue Red. Yeah. So it's like the only decks that you can play without Companion are Murktide, Cascade, or, or Amulet Titan. Am I missing anything? Yeah, you can play Dredge, or we well, probably can't play Dredge, but like I think you're right. Like Amulet Titan, um, and then all the Cascade decks mm -hmm. don't have a Companion. And then I would argue like Belcher and all these kind of linear unfair decks that are trying to end the game in a manner that doesn't really worry about how many cards you have left in your hand have you have you seen the the uh change of adding karn the great creator to the rhinos deck so they can get shardless agent i keep playing against that i have not seen that before that sounds excellent yeah yeah because i i think well i guess unless anyone wants to talk more about like the fairness of modern i've been seeing i've been playing against that a lot and when I've played Rhinos, um, I think I complain on the cast, you know, you either get your Rhinos and it's the best thing in the world, or you have these, you know, you mull and you have these clunky hands, no Rhinos, you got a couple bolts or something like bolts style effects, and then you just draw to nothing. I feel like Karn kind of helps with this sort of, uh, you know, flooding, as well as like, they still play Furies and, and, and other Elementals, so you have Mana Sync. So I feel like that deck is really well refined, but I haven't been seeing any decent results. I think it got a, a top eight in the in the Super PTQ, if I'm right. Maybe? Oh, no, it didn't. But yeah, I, I, that deck kind of disappeared. I've only been seeing it in Leagues, and I thought maybe mention that because we're talking about Degeneracy. But yeah, I don't know. Gab, do you have any overall thoughts about... Um, companions, I guess, because I feel like Pat and I are the only ones who give our stance. Companions? Are you asking me if they should should ban a good trade of companions? Is that your uh, ooh? Your should we attempt? should we talk about that? I I, I well, don't we really... about this a month ago. I mean, to be fair, I mean that really is the main stance of modern right now. It's like, do we want to keep playing with companions? You know, we always mention this on the cast. I I, I personally think that the format would become a lot more fun with companions gone i wouldn't mind but i think that something needs to be done either you print more companions because there just isn't a diverse amount of decks right with with uh companions or you ban them yeah i say maybe give it another maybe another couple months two or three months um and see if if people can can readapt but you know it's definitely getting to the point where um, yeah. it's possible they should get rid of companions for modern. Totally fine with you know, waiting time, but I think it's an inevitability that it will eventually happen unless they do a Harry and print more. And I don't advocate for printing more because I don't think having eight cards magically in your hand is like a better way of playing magic than how we've been playing it for 20 odd years beforehand with 12 yeah. or seven cards. 
But like, it's not a it's not a debate that really interests me very much anymore. I feel like we've shared that shared these ideas on the podcast before. Yeah, and yeah. But the fact the, the fact of the matter is that the format is dominated by Lewis and it's dominated by Yorio. And those are the two camps essentially. Mm-hmm. Of, well, of well, honestly, up, up to this weekend or a few weekends ago, I didn't feel like it was necessarily the case. You had all the cascade decks, you had some of the big mana decks, you had control decks. Mm. Um, you know, maybe definitely... recently was. This weekend was pretty hot, pretty pretty stark, though, wasn't it? Yeah, but it, it's just—is it just one weekend? Maybe not, you know. But it was just soul strong, playing, um, you know, out of his mind, and you know, it's like one player who's mastered an, of a top tier archetype. Is, is that enough to say that you know a deck is too strong? I mean, obviously, this weekend we didn't. I don't think we explicitly mentioned it, but no, the no. modern, the top four of the modern super PTQ was. Old Grixis Shadow. I was actually watching Cory Bowmaster lose a heartbreaking, uh, you know, third game of the semis in the mirror match, super close game, and um, so that was that was kind of tough to watch. So c- condolences, Cory, and congrats to the it was Sokos Fourteen and Aegis Aces. He also won the Modern Challenge on Saturday even though I think it was only two copies in the top eight, so not quite as as dominating. And in the Mox, which was the eight-player, uh, you know, kind of Mox championship, um, it, it was only three rounds of Modern, but in the 2-0 bracket, it was two two teammates who tested together, um, who um, who were both the only two Grexis Shadow players in the field, so it went uh, undefeated in 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 non mares by the way congrats to nathan stoyer who had an incredible free mox participation in a row that's yeah, not insane. to himself and he finally he finally got it the, the clean way i think it was the first time right that someone uh yeah. went free so, in both formats who just yeah. uh, clinched a clinched so the, the title the structure of these mocks these like one day mocks events that they have now is that you basically have three rounds of draft and three rounds of constructed and the people who go 3-0 in each of the two formats meet in the finals and play a finals match on whatever the constructed format is. But what they do if one player 3-0s both times is that person just automatically wins, obviously. Yeah, because they play themselves in the finals. They play themselves in the finals. And so Nathan Stoyer actually did it, which yeah. is the first time it's happened since they've made the update to this format. So sick, sick, sick run. Their cube deck was just... Yeah, the yeah, dirtiest yeah. Blue, blue white thing I've ever seen. Soul Ring, Mox Pearl, Mana Drain, and Gen Balance, and a whole bunch of artifact mana, a whole the sick planes and It was just a delight to watch him just steamroll every single person they ever played. Yeah, against. no, his deck was so good. He was actually the feature drafter, and he, he opened him. well. He kind of, you know, first picked Mana Drain, and then. But a gift in second pick because the, he got Mox Pearl second pick, but was the person to his uh, left. Well, he's right. His right story passing to him. Uh, open pearl and sapphire, yeah. And so he got like second pick power, and just it all fell into place from there. Open soul ring and back to yeah, yeah. It's kind of looking scary because the player feeding him was also playing blue, but he, he yeah, he kind of got the, the good blue and white cards and kind of a perfect deck. He had fairy, he had both teferis, mandarin, he had a mox, a soul ring, and on color signet. He had some few dual lands. I didn't agree with 100% of his picks. I don't know who, who was right, who was wrong for some of them. But yeah, his deck looked absolutely great after the draft. I was saying, um, you know, I feel like he's at least a 25% to Frio, uh, maybe maybe even more because a good, a good blue-white deck, it's not hard. It's not easy to get because 
every time I try to draft blue in the vintage cube draft, I feel like I'm getting cut and I'm seeing no blue cards after pick four or something. But when you get the you know your lane and good cards and stuff, it's it's the the yeah the fairy time railer is just ridiculous. Yeah, I think he even had balance too. Yeah, it was a balance and artifact amount that I really like. He he cast turn two bribery at some point in time. It was yeah. all, obviously all tied together by Soul Ring, though. Like opening Soul Ring in these blue white decks is really good. One thing, this is maybe just sort of, if we go a little bit aside down the cube cube drafting side of things. One thing I find ties the blue white decks together really well is that like you don't worry so much about the blue cards that get cut from you because all everyone fights it for blue in a vintage cube. There's a, it's a, it's deep enough to sustain at least two or three drafters at the table, maybe maybe even more. But the blue white deck really just wants to lean on the white stuff, and the white stuff is the like balance effects, the planes, walkers, and the mana ramp. Yeah, my yeah, palace, palace jailer twos. Palace jailer, what? A, oh, what? A, just what a card. Hey? Anyway, that was sick. I, I think we. I, I did want to talk a little bit about that. He and David Inglis, aka Tangrams, who they worked together on this event. They played a pretty kind of unique version of Death Shadow that was kind of tailor made for the format, for the eight player uh, small format. So they're obviously a testing team that's one quarter of the field as a massive portion of the field. They know. The deck selection preferences of people who are in the in in the tournament as well. So one competitor was Bob Forty Nine, who's like pretty famous for doing well playing Belcher in the modern in the modern uh, challenges and PDQs and mox events. And they knew Canister was qualified as well. And Canister has obviously been playing four color on that for just forever now. So there's like two decks that he that people have really know the preferences for. But I think was it X Whale was qualified, and X Whale is like really famous for playing. Uh, um hammer time and so they, they got a really good idea of what the field was and so they made a bunch of like card choices in the deck that really slanted in that direction so they had only one croxer in the main of the deck and two um turaks in the in their main deck which is like a direct a direct concession to like you know being being ahead in the on math matchup giving you like the ability to really grind well in game one and then they had a, a sick piece of tech for Belcher in the sideboard, which is Mind Grind, which every single person on planet Earth knows what that card does off the top of their head, so it wasn't something they're mentioning. But for those of you who are living under a rock, it's a, like one blue X sorcery target player reveals top X card, reveals cards from the top of their library until they reveal X lands, and then they exile exile those cards, and that's that's where you stop. So Belcher has zero lands in it, so you just say one blue, one color, one blue, one black deck you, which is a pretty kind of. Uh, uh, not yeah. mind drain, mind grind is the name of the card. Mind grind, and yeah. it's a two two a two mana instant win against Belcher, which I thought was a really sick thing. They also had um, a, a split of mystical disputes and uh, spell pierces, which hasn't been like super standard for um, you know if you look at the lists that go well do well in the PDQs or whatever. But if you're expecting the one of the players turned up with um, uh, blue black mill and so it's obviously a pretty good spell in that matchup being out of being out of counter their their crabs and whatnot and i think i think there's just a little these small different like concessions to pick, picking picking apart what their opponents were going to play which means that their lists are really like really like well crafted but they're not applicable to another a wide open field like a, a modern challenge or whatnot like you've had yeah, you've had experience building decks for small small fields it's, what do you really what sort of what sort of things do you think about? Um I haven't had that much experience, honestly. It's been what I guess world championship in the past couple of years has been that, but it's 
it was different because it was standard and there's not as many different archetypes and you don't you know you don't really know in that case it's not like modern which is kind of a to some extent you know specialist format or some people have their pet deck that they play all the time and you know it's world championship it's best players in the world and they can have a wide range it's more about levels sometimes you know which you know level one is like okay x is the best deck and everyone knows that and then so level b is like beating the deck that beats x but then you know so it's more about that than maybe specific deck building deck building choices i would like to issue an errata to what i said previously mind grind i do not know what it does exactly it says each opponent reveals x cards until they reveal X lands, but they can't X can't be zero. So it's three mana win against Belcher and it can't be veiled because it doesn't target. So those yeah, are... yeah, it's three mana win the game, yeah. yeah. I mean their list was not that that special, right? It was just a one Torak over second Croxa in the main. That was a one difference that's from the stock list. And then sideboard, I think dispute is pretty stock actually. I think if anything, they usually play a couple of disputes. I think these are the small concessions that you wouldn't make in a wide open field that you got it they got a massive amount of leverage in this tournament from i mean if you think about mind grind example it's 1 15th of your sideboard but it's insane against no yeah yeah mind grind for sure but uh, I, if anything i feel like only having yeah only having one dispute is kind of weird when you expect canister to show up with omnaf and i think i'd much rather have dispute there than spell i guess spell pierce counters ren and six which is big but i guess yeah no, I mean the the, the few, uh, yeah, few, few little adjustments here and there. But at the end of the day, they're just playing what they thought was the, the best deck, you know. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely the the top deck in one at the moment. And yeah. What, was, what about? Yeah, sorry. Go, what go about Grixis Shadow Scouters? You've played a lot of Grixis Shadow. I don't know Harry if you've played Grixis Shadow at all recently, but no, no. I know that when I picked up the deck, I kept running into burn, and that matchup was really tough because you don't have sovereign denial anymore. You have drawn in the lock, but it's still more expensive. So the way the matchup used to be in the past, I think it was kind of, you know, you basically hope to draw a bunch of death shadows and sovereign denial, and you just went like death shadow, death shadow, and counter the like one or two burn spells. And I think it was a matchup that was pretty good for burn if the burn player knew what they were doing and i think it still is the case but maybe even more so now like even tougher for the shadow player yeah the, is that that's, right? that's one mana hard counters definitely makes it uh, a challenge yeah it was, i definitely agree with you that if the burn player really knew what was going on uh, it was quite even for the old the old version with gomeg angler and stubborn denial it was still pretty rough for the shadow player i once spoke to Li Shi Tian at an australian grand prix about that matchup and he said to me that the way he plays it is he plays Goblin Guide on turn one, he doesn't attack with it, which I think is emblematic of someone who's kind of thought a lot about what you're supposed to do in that matchup. Just never enable the, the early shadow. You know, just build up, just put the creature into play and then don't attack with it. Like, what a, what a sick play. Yeah, there's no point, right? You just build up your damage and at some point they have to do it and then you just unload all that second. So you actually exactly. want to get... Yeah, you stare at one another. Yeah, yeah exactly. You just stare at them and wait for them, them to do it and then you just kill them if they, if they take too long. It's, yeah, it's a really interesting matchup, but like obviously the, the new version of Death Shadow is much more kind of reliant on small creatures and uh, it's less, you know, killing itself quickly and less less counter magic to protect, I guess, or at least the, the counter magic to protect is two mana rather than one mana. So yeah, it's definitely worse in that department and 
the sideboards are certainly not built to uh, to, to slant to, to help against burn. You know, there's there's no uh, collective brutalities or anything like that, or you know, things of things of that ilk that might help might help you in those matchups. So yeah, definitely burn is a matchup that I wouldn't want to play against if I was playing these kind of current iterations of Shadow. Yeah. The other things I was thinking, like where where does the deck st- st- suffer? It doesn't have the best time when drowning the lock isn't a, isn't a hard counter. So matchups where you know the other the opponent doesn't have fetch lands or that they're not trading spells really really rapidly or their threats are quite expensive. So imagine like Amulet Titan or Green Tron or maybe Eldrazi Tron. Uh, de- are matchups where you kind of you don't have that hard counter to kind of back up your discard spells. So those are places that you could uh, you could you could struggle overall. But I don't. I think the the hallmark of this deck is it doesn't have a, a number of like massively good, favorable matchups, but it also doesn't have very many bad matchups. So a bunch of like pretty close ones, and you start with eight cards in your hand. All your cards are really good. You're disruptive and aggressive. You just put a lot of pressure on your opponent, and it's a recipe for success, uh, independent of what you're someone agnostic of what your opponent's playing. So just just a good overall deck with positive matchup against the field. Yeah. I heard also that Dredge can be a tough matchup. Dredge has not been in the meta in the past few weeks, months, not a ton anyways. Yeah, the lack of team at Battle Reach is uh, a big part of the, the reason why you might struggle there, but it's not something that I would worry too much about going into a tournament, I don't think. Yeah. We talked a bit about Burn. I just want to get out of my chest. I think uh, that enchantment people bring in against me and everyone is really bad. What it was well, already? Oh, the two Roll, mana one. Rolling yeah. Vortex or Royaling Vortex? Yeah. Something like that. The one that you know takes one every upkeep, and you pay a red, and you can't gain life, and when you play free spells, you, you take five damage. That card, as a four-color player, that card is bad against me. Every It's never been good against me because it dies to ending, it's slow, and you have to keep mana up, which you don't always have, especially against fretting seas. That card just bad and just basically plays Skullcrack. Max out on Skullcrack. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's good in other matchups. Maybe it is good against Cascade. And even then, people know it. And they, they worry about Rest in Peace anyway. So they bring in their anti-enchantment cards. Presumably, it's presumably it's in the deck for the life, the lack of life gain clause rather than it being a kind of thing that slowly deals damage to you. Right? Yeah. But you, can answer an, yeah. you can answer an Omnath turn after turn. That's probably the argument for playing it. But it, every time I've seen it, cast against you it looks like a piece of shit yeah and it's, every time it's playing against me i think it's awful yeah it deals like two damage and i kill them that's just yeah it, it's it's been it's basically almost always worse than like two mana than volcanic hammer you know two mana deal free damage and it's infinitely worse than skull crack you know skull crack is by far so by far the best card you can have against yeah that's if you feel like you don't need a very much time against Omnath as well, like just having the Skullcrack up when they like try to go for their turn where they go like Omnath, play land, gain four life. I guess if they open fetch, if they lead fetch land, it's pretty rough because you can, you Skullcrack them in response. I guess you just Skullcrack them in response to Omnath in general and then they have to try and do it in your turn. I don't know. Yeah. Skullcrack versus Omnath is kind of like not something that plays very cleanly in Skullcrack's favor, but if you think you only really need to buy one turn, maybe it's okay. Yeah. Or, Maybe or just, better off just pop and, I don't know. Yeah. Just, just pop it with a trigger on the side. That was just my little rant that that rolling vortex, I think it's called, is that card just historically, like in every format, every matchup, that card's always yeah. Hot felt like that card was worse than Volcanic Hammer, you know. 
Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's tough. Like Canister was kind of ready for Grixis Shadow. He had free Veil of Summer in his sideboard, and it just didn't matter for those of you who saw the game or didn't see the game. I think it was the second game against Tangrams, and he had veiled the entire game, and he tried to keep it green up, and Tangrams had Inquisition. He didn't play into it. He had Torak. He never had to cast it. It was so sick. He just put in, put Canister in his spot. He had to spend five mana on turn five, and then he just Torak and, uh, and Inquisitioned him into the ground. It was so good. Yeah. Inquisitioned him after casting Torak. Like, it was so sick as well, because the Torak hit like, the two spells that Inquisition couldn't hit, and then he Inquisitions and sees... Veil of Summer and a spell, another spell they can take. It just takes the other spell and leaves the Veil of Summer to rot. It was so good. Yeah. It was beautifully played. Yeah, very well played by, by Tangrams. And I just don't know if I loved uh, the decision to just go all in on Veil in, in open decklist, you know, with open decklist. I, I feel like it's maybe something that can be good in on Magic Online where the, you know, typically Grixis Shadow player, even if you lead with Fetchland, they're just going to cast their discard spell on turn one. And if if you get veiled, you get veiled, you know. But when uh, when you know they have free, I kind of like a mix, in, especially in open decklist. When I build yeah. my decks, I like having a mix of, you know, maybe like a spell pierce, a veil or two, maybe, you know, some something else. Maybe you bring in a fluster storm in this matchup or a dispute or... The fear of God in them. One veil of summer, one fluster yeah, but, storm. But, but I do agree Torak is really brutal and... In theory, it sounds good, right? One green to counter the a four mana card in some ways. Like, how can how can you not have the mana open when you need it? But in in practice, they they just play circles around you. And at some point, the fact that you kept that one mana up the whole game means that you fell behind. And then at some point, you have to make up for the fact that you you know you you basically played was what's it called a sphere of resistance and played the entire game. So at some point, you're like, well. I guess I just have to tap out now. And you, you would think you it would, you know, it would kind of work out for you, but it just doesn't. I feel like it's it's always, yeah, I cost myself a mana for like three straight turns now I have to tap out or else I'm gonna lose the game and then then they get you. So it's it's tough. I, I'm not sure what the what the, the answer is. In some ways, maybe you know, a bunch of spreading seas is is maybe the way to go. You don't just, just go to four spreading seas in this matchup and then going right into the ground. You don't have to worry as much about um, Kroxa and Torok and all these. I could, definitely, I could get behind that angle. It definitely feels... This, this four-color deck is already behind in terms of like mana advantage. So like putting yourself in a situation where you have to be reactive, it would cost you a mana every turn. It's just, just playing into their hands in some respects. Yeah. I definitely agree with you. Like Online, like you're just going to like, you know, Cryptic Command, essentially, your opponent on turn one really often, but in the open deckless environment, just, it's kind of tough to, to lean so heavily on a card like that. And, you know, you do, a, a smart player will, will force you to get into a situation where you, you have to make up for the lost, the lost tempo, essentially. Yeah. Um, what else should we talk about? I played against a... I want to talk about the sixth thing to play Storm deck, because that deck is awesome. Storm? Yeah, a lot. Yeah, I lost to like a really unique build. I feel like maybe it's something people kind of tried to do at the very beginning of the format when a Birgi got small. But yeah, it's a mono red deck that plays Ragavan, Dragon Ray Chandler, and Birgi, God of Storytelling. That's the 
the split card is a free free it's the one that's in the vintage cube you know when you play a spell you get a red until end of turn doesn't you know you don't lose the mana through phases until end of turn and um so it's like it has that for creatures it plays desperate ritual lavadart lightning bolt manamorphose mishra's bubble it has blood moon for just you know, screw your value, I guess. And then it has four Underworld Breach. So it's kind of a value Underworld Breach deck. And, you know, maybe on paper, like, oh, it's, you know, you play Breach and maybe you get a couple spells and stuff. And, okay, it's good, but not crazy. But in, in practice, it was just super good. And I, I really like the other side of the Burgie against you as well, which is like a five mana artifact that lets you discard a card to exile mm -hmm. two cards and play them as well. Just that split card on your mana engine was just really, really powerful. I, I, I watched that match. It was a massive challenge for you because you spend all this time ducking and weaving Blood Moon to make sure Blood Moon's unaffected, but you still have to worry about they have Ragavan and Dragon Ranger's channeler. So there's like, they're beating you down. But they've also got this combo that combo mana engine that also acts as a card advantage engine later in the game. It's a really interesting deck. I don't know what to make of it other than it was. It looked really cool, and I really thought you'd stabilize a couple of times, and then they just got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did. I lost to Bloodman one game, and I lost to uh, the flip side of Bergy to Five Man Artifact another game. If, if you know, they untapped with that card, it felt like the game was over. Yeah, it feels like they have like two, like eight, eight copies, like two, two different uh, versions of like a draw seven in their deck. Basically, they either rip Underworld Breach or rip Burgi late in the game to kind of go off with the discard ability to get yeah. the catch up in spots where you've ground them out. And that's really that's a really powerful element to put on your uh, pseudo aggressive deck. Yeah, and they play one Grave Shot to draw into at some point. That card works really well with Underworld Breach, right? Because you do get the Storm Triggers when you cast it a couple times. So that can be a lot of damage, but yeah, I was, I was impressed. Just didn't feel that great. I was also pretty low on force of vigor. I only had one in my sideboard. Definitely wish I had maybe a, a few more for this specific matchup, but yeah, it's hair of Ellendale 15. So congrats to them for a pretty, pretty sick brew and top 16 I, place in the PDQ. I hope I see this deck again in action. Yeah, I was thinking about recording, uh, you know, maybe playing it on the stream and Hell yeah, that'd be great. recording a video for for, uh, for this for this week. Yeah, I think the only thing that I want to talk about this deck is obviously they're playing one of the So Kenzen Crucible of Defiance. You know, these lands that have been added by the most recent set. Playing yeah. in this past week, I've been seeing them a lot. Um, you know, I guess specifically in four color control, are you are you playing a lot of these? Have, did we talk about this already? Yeah, I've been playing one ever since they came out. You know, along with Basishu, I've liked it. Mm -hmm. I think the card is good. It's especially good against Ragavan. Mm. And but I guess I'm not sure if it's actually better than Tranquil Thicket. You know, because you notice when it does something really cool, but Four mana to challenge is not trivial. Sure, sometimes it's cheaper when you have a Ragavan or a Numnath or both. But you know, four mana is a lot, and sometimes it does rot into your in your hand. The untap red is nice though. Extra untap painless mana can can be really nice in some spots. I've definitely noticed spots where I just get to cast Ragavan turn one of Sukenzan, and if it had been a tranquil thicket, maybe it would have been different. But it's so so tough to know. What I did was the deck was 29 lands and I cut the red-green cycling land 
to add a Sokenzan and a Basaju. So I wouldn't go down on colored mana, but I, I I did go up a land. So maybe, you know, in the, in the games where the channel abilities are not relevant, you might flood a tiny bit more. But I think overall the card is worth it. It is it is really hard to say, though. Uh, it's pretty impressive in the, the limited number of times I've seen, seen it in action, both for you and for other people on stream. Yeah. But just, you know, winning random six mirrors in the mid game, by just you know making two two one ones over and over again, um, you know the relatively low cost of having what is essentially a mountain in your deck. Yeah, I, I've been really impressed with it. these cards in general overall, obviously. But Sukensen is one that, I, you know, we I think we spoke about it when it got spoiled, saying obvious synergies with red and six. And then when I was looking at you putting it in four colors, I was like, is this really like better than a dual land that makes your mana better? But I've I've seen it I've seen it pull its weight. And I've been pretty impressed. Yeah. Yeah. The only surprise for me was obviously I've been playing a lot of Ponza. I've been doing a lot of Renin 6 plus the channel lands. Um, Beseju, there's two things that I kind of worked out. One, Beseju's nuts with Ragavan you, you mentioned. But like Renin 6 plus Ragavan plus Beseju, that's uh, two Beseju's a turn. So you can easily, any Urza Saga deck, you just wipe out everything. Um specifically against hammer you can kill literally everything that you care about against hammer apart from pure steel paladin with Beseju. and um what is it the other thing though is that Beseju's worded in a very interesting way it says that player may search their library for a land card with a basic land type so they can yeah, get yeah. triumph they can get shock land i don't know if we mentioned this on the podcast but that to me was a big shock because obviously um, uh, it's not as good. So, for example, against a deck, I think I played against some deck where Clothis was basically a locked. Oh, no, not Clothis. Ensnaring Bridge from Karn from the sideboard was a locked win. And I besage you their Blood Crypt um, because they were red, white, splashing black for prismatic, like black as a color for prismatic ending, thinking they could only get a basic. But then they got a, a uh, the triome, and then still prismatic ending my the snaring bridge. So, so, so that was you know very relevant. It's very relevant the way procedures worded. I don't know if people yeah. know this. A couple a couple of weeks ago, I I think I mentioned this on the cast. So I did not read it that way when I like just read it the read the card the first time. I just passed it as get a basic land. Yeah, it's uh, you're not the only person who's been surprised by that. But we have discussed it before, and it's it's I thought I thought it was a really cool piece of design. Yeah, no, they did a good job. It would have been way too good. It's already pretty good. It would have been way too good. You mentioned Bosage against Hammer Time, and I actually have not been bringing in all my... Because I've been playing one Bosage in the main and up to four in the sideboard, specifically for the no-land decks, you know, Belcher, Loops, All Spells, and I think the card's really strong against Titan, specifically to target their bounce lands. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course against Tron, but against Hammer Time, I have not because my theory was that you can't really afford to spend two mana to ram them. They play Canopy Lands, they play Lurus, and you mentioned, you know, Pure Skill Pod, and I feel like that's kind of their scariest card, honestly, and it doesn't really solve your problems. Your deck is already a little slow, maybe on the slow side in this matchup. So trading two mana to usually get rid of permanent that they only paid one mana for and they get an untapped land. I felt like that would just not be like a great proposition, but maybe maybe I should try. Um, 
bring well, four Bastasia if I ever replay that matchup. Well, it's different decks, right? Because I have access to Arbor Elf Utopia Sprawl, so it's like the. I mean, okay, I'm trading two mana to give them a land, but a lot of the time I, I'm doing Besaju plus Clothis or Besaju Renin Six. Ping your yeah. guy. Yeah, it, it, maybe the speed that like the speed of my deck is a lot different, as well as um, I have Karn the Great Creator in my deck. So once I get that down, get Ensnaring Bridge, get that down, get whatever Pithy Needle or or um, yeah. Liquid Metal Coating. It, it's 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 a different game. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Besaju being weak um, as a control player. Uh, more as like a mid-rangey aggro deck, it's, it's been really good. But that's actually an interesting point, because just because you have Renin 6 and Besage in your deck, that doesn't necessarily um, make it good against Hammer Time. I think for me, it's just been the fact that I literally can't kill a creature that's that's 10 power, or sorry, 10 toughness as red-green. I need the Besage because I have to destroy I have to destroy the Hammer, whereas you have Solitude, yeah. you have Teferi Time Raveler. So it, it completely yeah. makes sense why the boarding is different. I was going to yeah. make that exact that exact point that the, the removal spells you have access to in red green and give you a different dynamic against hammer time than when you have access to ending and solitude and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, but you have been losing you have been losing a hammer time matchup though, so it's probably something that you should look into. Yeah, yeah, but that's just a curse. I'm just I've been hit by a hammer time oh, curse. That's a far more reasonable explanation. It's a gypsy curse rather than yeah. <laughs> do you do you play any archmage's charm? No, you don't play Charm anymore. Not in the Omnif deck, but I might have to. I might have to give the good old Waffle Top uh, Blue White deck a, a try again soon. Or I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, Harry. No, I thought your point was great. The extra mana, the explosiveness, and the you know, it's talking how Omnif slow can be a little funky and slow, and Red Green plays a different game. So yeah, it makes sense why maybe you know, may, and that's kind of cool, right? Maybe in when you're playing red green Ponzai, you want four Besiege and four Rain in that matchup, but maybe when you're playing Omnath, you you don't, or maybe you know, I'm just I was just being too, I don't know how to say it, conservative, or you know, the theory just doesn't quite uh, actually apply. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one. Um should we should we look to wrap up just because Pat said he had to finish at three? Yeah. Yeah, we can we can definitely do a little bit of a wind up now. We've got plenty of times so we can definitely put the prices right to its full extent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. Hopefully the drilling is starting to get real bad because I think they're making concrete out front or something now. But um, uh, I guess. Oh my gosh, I don't know. The the listeners can definitely hear it, but I don't think you guys can. But um, yeah. Okay. I heard that last time. <laughs> okay, so let's do uh, prices right first. So for those new listening, don't know what the prices right is. We're going to pick a card, go on card market, and then check the price. Uh, well, this is the Price is Right game. Um, I like a very interesting game. Yeah. I was thinking you could do maybe Ragavan. Because yeah. I have no clue how much Ragavan would be. All right, let's do Ragavan. Okay, okay that's fine. Um, everyone got a price in mind? In euros? Just to clarify, we're not talking about the token. We're talking about Ragavan, Nimble Bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. The Modern Horizons yeah. 2 Ragavan. I have a price in mind. Okay, 3, 2, 1, 40. 55 euro. 80. Oh. How much did you say, Pat? 55 euro. You oh. said 55 and you said 40? Oh my gosh. This one was Magic Online prices, I guess. The 30-day average price on card market is 77 euros and 89 cents. Congratulations, Gab. Finally! <laughs> 
the first Technically, you went over, though. Yeah, you went over. You went over. But yeah, I thought 40 would be fine. a good guess. You did finally win one. I just won those Magic Online prize. Isn't it like still 75, 80 ticks on Magic Online? Sure. Yeah, 80 ticks on Magic yeah. See, I just, I, just, um, I just go 50% of Magic Online is my guess, but whatever. Um, okay. <laughs> I like that we're really up to speed with the Magic Online prize. We have no idea what a real, real life card True. is worth. I bought them a little while ago for like 45 pounds, so I just kind of extrapolated. Roughly, they were roughly worth the same, but clearly that's what not. It's fun. Yeah. Okay, as the drilling gets very bad, we go to life on the line. To be honest, this house is probably going to collapse and I'll die anyways, but... Um, that sounds like an introduction from me about explaining your absence for next week's episode. Dude, it's so... They're drilling literally... You know, one day I woke up, I woke up and they were like to me, they're like, hey, yeah, we um took the support beam from under your room, so just don't jump or anything because you might fall through the ceiling. I was just like, Incredible. what? Okay. <laughs> um, I've been telling people you've been doing all sorts of stuff, eh? Yeah, uh, so I was just like, okay, and then they drill under my room, so my bed shakes in the morning, nice, nice alarm, stuff like this, um, I definitely feel like I'm yeah, homeless right you now. You still can't get your, uh, your master's, your master's thesis proposal in time. It, it, I'm, I'm, it's, it, I'm gonna see, I see my supervisor every week, and they, the rules are I'm allowed one draft to be officially marked that's not okay. tracked, and it would, we it's i can submit it any time before the 24th i just told my supervisor i'd hand it in on monday oh, and then you some... an artificial deadline yeah 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 that's, yeah. that's, that's totally I, different i miss totally yeah, yeah well, it wasn't an official i've just got my uh, i've got my supervisor pants on right now <laughs> yeah yeah it's it, a slightly hard time it's just he, he didn't like email me What's funny is my supervisor actually knows what Card Market is because I told him when I went to Germany before, I was like, yeah, this company called Card Market sponsored me, blah, blah, He was like, no way. He was like, my partner literally sells cards on there. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, sick. Yeah. Yeah. Cross, cross, cross promotion. Yeah, definitely. And then and then I got him to, to buy cards because shout out to Card Market, best sponsor of the cast. But um, <laughs> uh, what is it? You know, life on the line. That's it. Not my life. Life on the line. For those who are listening, don't know what it is. Theoretical tournament tomorrow. Win the event you live, lose, you die. Got to bring a deck list from every form we talked about today. So just modern. I'm going to be bringing um, Red Green Ponza. It's it's a list that I think is actually quite well tuned. And I, I've actually been really liking it. Like I said, I feel like I only lose to Flood. I guess that's, you know, our luck, I guess. But, I mean, the deck is still in its baby form. But me and Cherry have a lot of... Yeah, me and Cherry have a lot of success between us. A lot of four ones. Cherry's five out a couple times in only the span of like six leagues between us. So, I I really really like the deck and I think uh, it's pretty decent. What about you guys though? Rix's shadow. The end. Man, tough for me. I kind of tempted to just stick to four color Alnaf, honestly. Is that what we're really just all staying in our camps? That's what we're doing. Yeah, we're just. <laughs> Yeah, holding uh, a... Making a mockery of the concept of life on the line. Stand, standing on ground. Holding the line. Fair enough. Well, I think listeners will know in their heart of hearts where the true answer really is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess for to wrap up the episode, Gab, where can we find you on the internet? Not anywhere really this week just testing uh, for the set championship with my my teammates so i'm not gonna be as uh, on as often you can find me in the discord uh discord channel of the the playtest team 
Sweet. You can find me um, dying in the library. What about you, Pat? Is this because you lost uh, Life in the Line or because of your assignments to you? Uh, just, just in general. Uh, just in general. You'll find Emily. me in the Emily rubble, in the rubble of my house. Yeah. Very <laughs> good. That's nice. That's that's a good one. Okay. Well, you will find me anywhere on the internet at get underscore smart. Jeez, awesome. If you made it this far into the episode, thank you so much for listening, and hopefully we'll catch you guys next week. Peace. Take care, everyone.